An Instagram post gets an unexpected boost. A TikTok catches in the algorithm. Sometimes that's all it takes to launch someone into internet fame. But then what? This Blew Up is a new podcast documentary that reveals how social media stardom is made. It's a different kind of fame that's not always as glamorous as it looks. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Alyssa Bereznak. You can listen to This Blew Up on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Reboot your credit card with Apple Card, the only credit card designed for iPhone. It gives you up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase. It's real cash that never expires or loses value. Apply for Apple Card in the Wallet app on iPhone. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Daily cash is available via Apple Cash Card issued by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC, or as a statement credit. Terms and more at applecard.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. It is the Prestige TV Podcast, Episode 6. My name is Bill Simmons. I am here with Joanna Robinson. We theorized in our episode up to part five. We're like, what's going on here? What's, where's Greg? What's, what's going on? What's Quentin what's going, up to? What's going on with the English guys? Yeah. What is happening? And mm-hmm. we got some answers. We got a pivotal answer. We wondered in episode five, there was a monologue by Tom Hollander about the one time he fell in love with a cowboy. Handsome guy. 30 years ago, long time ago. And that was the one time, the one guy who got him. Other than that, nobody. And then the end of episode six, Jennifer Coolidge, after an Emmy award-winning cocaine party, about <laughs> to have sex with the well-hung Italian guy. She's in the bedroom. She's like, hmm, what's this photo? Who's in the photo? It's a young Tom Hollander and a young Greg wearing a cowboy hat. And we are off. What'd you think? Oh my God, I was... I was thrilled because this is, we got a lot of tweets and I got a lot of emails about this, about this Cowboy Greg theory that hadn't even occurred to me when I was watching episode five. And I love it when a fan theory pays off, pays off immediately. Um, so I was really excited for the for the fans because they were excited about this sort of Greg Cowboy idea. And I was like, maybe, we were texting about it before we saw this episode. We were like, maybe, could be. Uh, so yeah, that was, that felt really satisfying and it, and it pulled a lot of threads together and it's, there's a lot of juicy possibilities. Like there's the obvious possibility. (laughs) This is a murder long con. Um, but then there's a couple other possibilities too. So that's exciting. Well, we went back, we watched the end of episode two. Oh, the almost end, like the second to last scene when Jennifer Coolidge's character, Tanya wakes up, where's Greg? Right. Oh, Greg's on the balcony talking to somebody and she can't hear what they're saying. But Greg says to whoever he's on the phone with, all right, she's so stupid. She doesn't know what's going on. He and says, then she says, I'm in love with Yeah, I love says, you. He says, clueless as usual is what he yeah, says yeah. about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then, then he says, I yeah, love you too. Yeah. So we think after we did the pod after that episode, we're like Greg has a second family. Right. Does Greg have a girlfriend? Right. Do you think... On the phone, Tom Hollander. Yes. But I don't think it's romantic on Greg's side. Because Tom Hollander, the Quentin character, right? He said, 
when I rewatched the cowboy monologue too, and he says, you know, he's he's heterosexual. Like he he wasn't into me that way, right? He was heterosexual. I was hopelessly in love with him. And so what I do think is that he's doing all of this for Greg. Everything that he's doing with Tanya is for Greg, but I don't think it's because they're in love with each other secretly. Or you know I mean? Greg is leading him on to make it seem like maybe there's a chance well, for us, but he's really using Quentin and, and Quentin's whole gang to pull be. a long con on Tanya. But then the question is, now, Mike White didn't even know there was going to be a season two when he wrote season one. I think they I think they all thought season one was just a miniseries that was going to end. Yeah. And then it yes. was like, wait a second, why wouldn't he keep going? So as he goes back, he's like, hmm, Greg, how could I make that character more fun? So now we, we don't know that about Mike White as we're watching season two. But sure. now with season two, now you go back to season one. It's like, was this always a long con for Greg? Well, here's my question for you. Are you convinced that this is like a long con to murder Tanya, get her money, pay off the yes. villa, et cetera? Okay, that's what you Yeah, think. I think the, the key with that is drunk English guy at the end when... First of all, nobody's ever been that drunk in the history of a TV or movie show where they're just like, I'm just spilling all the secrets. With Certainly uh, not, off a, not off a beer. He's just yeah, drinking beer like, the whole time. Like, yeah. Was he roofied? What happened to that? He had nine <laughs> tequila shots that we didn't see. And he's right. telling ha- Haley Lou Richards, Richardson's character, Portia, yeah. um, this, this whole, Jack, he's about to come in a lot of money yes. um, and all that stuff. So that that's what made me think it was a long okay. time. Can you hold space in your heart for a, a a wild theory for me on top of this. Oh, let's hear it. Let me buckle up. Okay. So what they want us to think, right, is that this is a long con murder to get her money. But I'm wondering if something else is going on here, and I think it goes to the larger theme of fantasy in this season, because what we learned about Tanya early in the season, what in the two episodes where she's with Greg, is that she has this, like, Monica Vitti fantasy. She wants her, like... Primo Italian Sicilian fantasy. And he tells her sort of mysteriously, I wanted you to have your perfect day before I told you the news. And then he says the news is that he's going back uh, to Denver, I think it is. But, um, you know, you and I, like, watching that sequence where they're on the Vespa and there's, like, the fly and the hair everywhere and blah, blah, blah. We're like, this is so, like, broadly comical what's going on here. But, like, what's true is that whatever her fantasy was, like, Greg couldn't give it to her. He, like, couldn't have sex with her the way she needed. He couldn't do all this sort of stuff. So I'm wondering if the news is we thought my cancer was gone, but it's actually back and I'm dying. And he's trying to give her, like, that one perfect fantasy. Because that's what that's what Quentin's giving her. If, if they are going to kill her, they're killing her with kindness by giving her her, like, Monica Vitti fantasy of, like, here's this, like... And, and it's just, like, a wild story where he's, like... Because that guy who's sleeping with her at the end, like, that's definitely a... That's a rent boy, right? Like, that's a sex worker, right? Yeah. But he's, like, he's maybe part of the mafia. And, ooh, he's got a gun in his bag. And, ooh, here's all this cocaine. And I just feel like that they're trying... I feel like they're trying to give her this fantasy. And I wonder if there's actually secretly, like, some sort of altruistic spin on this, that it's not murder, that it's like killing her with kindness almost. And then the reveal is he's dying. Because also in those Greg and Tanya scenes, I rewatched them at the beginning and like they mentioned the prenup twice. So my question is, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not an estate lawyer. I don't know if you know this, but I'm not an estate lawyer. But like if you die and there's a prenup, like does he automatically, like does he get her money? 
if yes. there's a prenup? Okay. 100%. That's why 100%? your theory, okay. as much as I like it, is not the answer it's, here. Because it's bullshit. The, okay. <laughs> the only way he gets her money is if she dies while he's married well, to her. But the other thing is, like, I don't think Greg is destitute. Like, she met him at a White Lotus. He was a guest at a White Lotus in Hawaii. So, like, she has more money than him, but I don't think he has no money. So, I'm wondering, like— Well, well one of the questions is, how much money does she have? Because I think she's actually a pretty heavy hitter. We never really get answers for that, but she clearly yeah. has a ridiculous amount of money. And it's obviously a higher level than what Greg has. Yes. She's obviously operating at a different level. But my one my question is, like, what if Greg's dying? What if he told Quentin, you're going to get all my money? I'm going to die. I'm going to give you all the money I have. Not Tanya's money, but my money. If you do this thing for me, where you give her this like Sicilian fantasy. Oh, so Greg, so Greg doesn't, he's not aware of the murder part because I don't think he told Quentin do this whole thing. But Quentin and those guys are like, we're actually going to murder this lady. And then Greg's dying anyway. And maybe we'll get something from Greg. Maybe. But like, what if they're not trying to murder her at all? Because like, I think I here's here's what's bothering me is that in a seven episode season, I don't like the murderer, Quentin, Tom Hollander, saying in episode five, uh, I would die for beauty too, wouldn't you? Like, it seems so heavy handed for him to say that so early. And so I wonder if there's one more twist. And also, like, if you look at White Lotus, it's not really like a, it's not a murder show. There are dead bodies, but like in season one, it wasn't a murder. It was like an accident. So yeah, like, but season two, we know there's a murder, and we know there's, we know there's bodies. dead bodies. A friend of mine right. was wondering so, if there was so, like a boating accident or something like that. Like, how did all these dead bodies wind up in the harbor? Is it a boating accident or something? Or like a, um, you know, the jet ski uh, chicken standoff that we saw earlier in the season? Oh. Like, is it like a jet ski collision or something like that? Like, is there a way in which this could be still be accidental death? but a bunch of bodies in the harbor or something like or that. Or maybe it's all the uh, Quentin and his people who have been planning and plotting how to kill Tanya. And Tanya goes on a murder rampage. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but so, like, I, I think it's interesting that Jack, the nephew, the drunk nephew, his whole mission, obviously, in this episode is to get Portia out of the picture, right? Take her yes. off, get drunk, keep her away from the party. I think it's interesting that Greg was also like when Tanya showed up with Portia, Greg's like, why is Portia here? Why is your assistant here? Like we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to have this like fantastical romantical thing. Get your yeah. assistant out of here. So, um, I, oh, you know, so that, they, so she was a complicating, I didn't even think of that. She's a complicating factor potentially for their whole plan that they're going to have that whole week. If it's a murder, absolutely. Yes. If there's like a fan, like she, so then Quentin's the like, I got, somewhere. I'll bring in drunk Jack to just, to seduce her for a few days and throw her off the scent as we're trying to do something else. I think he's also a sex worker. I think there's multiple secret sex work. I think I think he's also like, you know, well, I would, the, the I would, nephew. I would nephew say it's Jack. a safe bet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about the other murder possibilities that emerged from this episode. And we can go back to Cowboy. I'm Greg holding I'm holding on to my like secret, secretly, this is nice, but maybe that's dumb and I'm I'm ready to be wrong. Ethan's melting down. Mm, mm -hmm. Ethan's having almost a psychotic break. And let's just go through. The episode starts with Arby Plaza. Did you see that meme, by the way, about how people talk about the White Lotus characters? No. And it it was like, how do you remember every uh, how do you remember every White Lotus part, uh, Lotus character? And it was like Aubrey Plaza, Aubrey Plaza's husband, uh, <laughs> the that guy, that guy who's married to the other girl, the other couple. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Jennifer Coolidge, and nobody can remember any of the characters' names. I thought that Jennifer was pretty Coolidge's funny. Jennifer Coolidge's assistant. That's funny. Michael Perioli, the dad, the son. Uh, I'm just going to call her Aubrey Plaza. But it starts, it starts with her in bed confronting Ethan about his big night and basically having this come to Jesus moment. Are we even attracted to each other? You're not attracted to me. Yeah. Like, why are we together? And Ethan's just like, it honestly looks like he's melting down. And then something flips with her. And when she sees him talking to me and Lucia mm-hmm. in the lobby. Yeah. And that like, Aubrey Plaza unleashed, I think the most faces she's had in an episode. There was like 11 different Aubrey Plaza faces. And she has this one face where it's like that motherfucker. And now she's like, I'm going to f- really fuck with this guy now. She starts flirting with Cameron. Yeah. And we're off with that. Take, Hey, Cameron. Who wants to get a drink? Oh, my wife's getting a massage. Yeah, Ethan, I'll let's go. go get a drink. I don't want yeah. one. Aubrey wearing the bikini, looking good. I'll go. I'll go. All yeah. of a sudden, up there in the bar, getting super flirty. Ethan's having more of a breakdown. He's like, we're going to take a swim. I thought he was going to die there during the swim. Um, comes back, they're gone. Yeah. And and we are off. This was They, they set this up for five and a half episodes. Goes back to the room. Hmm, why is it latched? Mm-hmm. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. Knock, knock, knock. Hard knock, hard knock. Hey, whoa, Jesus, I just came to get a hat. Why is that connecting door open? And uh, I just thought all of it was really good. And she was great. I thought it was a great episode for her. And we're just like, all right, now what happened? And that becomes the other thing for the episode. Right. Do you? So do you think that they hooked up in the room or do you think they didn't? I do. You do? I do. I think, I think they do. Like, first of all, why do you latch the door? You didn't do that the whole whole yeah. week you were there. That was suspicious. Why is the connecting door open? Um, we know Cameron was trying to hit on her and make the moves on her the whole time. We know she's so mad at Ethan at this point. She thinks Ethan's lying to her. And this is like the one way she can get the upper hand again. And she's probably just going to like blow Cameron in the in her room <laughs> or something. And then she latched the door and that was it. I mean, I do think it's definitely a power play. Absolutely. Like even if she's, even if they didn't and she's just fucking with him. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like it's a power play. And I think it has to do with Something that Ethan, what Ethan was talking about when they went wine tasting, when he was like talking about um, wanting the thing because someone else has it, right? That that's that's what uh, Cameron used to do to him in college, like go after yeah. all of all of his girls. And um, and I'm like, I wonder if Ethan now, because she, you know she was right when she confronted him earlier. She's like, we're not sexually attracted to each other anymore. I. I don't want my like my sexual life to be over. We're too young to be this old, is what she says, right? Um, yeah. And so I'm wondering if like suddenly he's going to be attracted to her again because she is desired That's why she's by doing it. Cameron. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. When, when she or, was lying on the bed with she, the nightgown ready for his little pheromone post-jog thing and he's like, hey, I'm going to take a shower. That was, right. I think, pretty alarming if you're her. But I think also that plays into this... Because the only reason I don't think they did it is because we see that like fantasy in his head of what happened. You know what I mean? That that dark, like upsetting fantasy. And I think a lot of this season, because I think it ties into what we see with uh, F. Murray Abraham Burt's character in this episode, is about that danger of fantasy. Portia too. Like Portia goes off with Jack, the nephew Jack, who has been like fulfilling her fantasy for the last couple episodes. And she's like, oh no, he's like this drunken piece of shit mess something like like this is her fantasy gone completely wrong in this episode right and then ethan has this really dark fantasy of like what if cameron's fucking my wife 
you know, when she goes up to get a hat. Like, what if that Well, and then Jennifer Coolidge gets her, this is my big night. Right, this is my Partying with younger guys and ending up with a thing. And then the the three generations, that's the funniest version of that, which we'll get to later, where it's like, Mm -hmm. we're going to go back to the homeland and see our relatives. It just couldn't go worse. (laughs) Um, I think they definitely were at least starting to hook up when he was banging in the door. I, I think don't know why else he would I, lash the door. I'm going to lock that down. I, I mean, I agree with you. I don't know why else he would lash the door. And why is, Cameron, not... why is Cameron there in the other room? Um, they're both. Yeah. Why would they both just go back? Hey, we're having drinks and tequila shots. Let's go back to the room. Like, I'm sorry. I'm, I, as you know, I'm suspicious of everyone on this show. She had, <laughs> she had a motive. He had a motive because he probably guessed at this point that Ethan's throwing him under the bus with what were those two girls doing that night? And Ethan's like, it wasn't me, it was him. And right. now he's got to get something over on them because he doesn't want his wife to find. So everyone had motives and they were attracted to each other. And she's a little sex starved, let's be honest. Like Cameron's Cameron's kind of throwing it her way, giving her, making her feel yeah, like she's uh, in almost, demand again. I think it's almost more interesting if they didn't, but Ethan thinks they is convinced they did. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not. I well, don't we're gonna find out you. next episode, yeah, one way yeah. or the other. Yeah, it's yeah. One, it's one of the things. So then they come back and. The, the wife, it's just the uh, Daphne. It's hard Daphne. to know what, how much she knows about Cameron. She knows right. stuff, right? She knows he's a dog. She's like, There's just how things. bad were you? Is is sort oh, of something she asks him, right? One of the we got a lot of good theories from uh, after our episode five podcast. One of them was that we missed it. Yeah, when Daphne shows Aubrey Plaza the phone when she's like, "Do you want to see a picture of my trainer?" and it's her two kids and. Aubrey Plaza says, those are your two kids. And she's like, oh, is it? And takes the phone back, which I just thought, I I thought was just a weird scene and her being weird. But then there were some theories that the older kid had blonde eyes and blue hair and she had laid the groundwork already and said, I have this (laughs) handsome trainer, blonde with blue eyes. And people are like, you idiots. That was definitely her son with the trainer. I'm not willing to go that far, but I do wonder like- I don't think it's a bad theory. I think- um I mean, I don't know if this is true of your screener. My screener didn't have that photo. Sometimes the screeners you get like uh, VFX sort of to come. And so um, on my screener, it was just a blank screen on the cell phone. So I didn't see oh, the photo mine of the kids. Had the, mine had the photo. Okay, yours had the photo of the kids. Yeah. I didn't have the photo of the kids on my screener or like I watched it a while ago or whatever. And like, um, so I didn't see the photo. I think that's a decent interpretation uh, that like, if she's talking about her trainer and he's and she's like, this is this is what I do. This is my fiction fantasy that I hold up. But there's also like the flip side, I think, of that fictional fantasy theme of the season is like transactional <laughs> transactional sex and like how there's something kind of purely honest about transactional sex. Like we'll talk about what happened with Valentina and Mia yeah. in this episode. But like yeah. with Daphne and Cameron. I don't like to think of them as aspirational because there's a lot of a lot of shit I don't I hate about Cameron, but there is something like kind of direct about their like if she knows that he does all this bullshit and she's like, yeah, but I do my own bullshit. And that's just that's just the game we play. And then also we like early in the season, she just talked about how whenever she gets stressed, she just spends all of his money. So again, that's transactional. Like that she's like, this is what I get out of it. I go shopping and I spend his money. And so how does that make her that much different from some of the sex workers that we've met? You know what I mean? Like It's a relationship that doesn't seem like it has any baggage to it. 
which I think is really unusual, right? Like they, whatever faults that they know or don't know about one another or that, or whatever they think the other might be up to on the side or whatever, they're just get like when they're together, they're good. Or and, they're they, no, and it doesn't yeah. come up. Or they're not pretending that it's love. Like there was that, you know, in Quentin's whole cowboy Greg monologue, he was talking about like, I don't really understand love. I get like sex and I get companionship, but I don't get like romantic love except for this one guy, this cowboy that I met. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if, if I don't know that Mike White believes in like romantic love. I don't think there's any romantic love that made sense for us in season one. And season one, of course, ends with, a character that we hope is going to leave her new husband who sucks staying with him seemingly for like financial reasons. You know what I mean? So like, I think Mike White is working on this long theory about transactional relationships and how they're more honest at the end of the day than like Ethan and Har- Aubrey Plaza and her husband, Ethan and Harper thinking like we have a love story of some kind. And she's like, do we like, is that what this is? You know, I'll go further. Because I was thinking about this after the episode. Everything you just said plus this. I wonder if Mike White, the reason he wanted to do this show, he's obviously obsessed with the class stuff. But really, Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, don't be jealous of these people. These people are just as fucked up as everybody else. And we're going to dive into this. These families that it seems like they're in the perfect situation in their gigantic four-bedroom suite at the best you know, place in Hawaii or here in Italy, these three father, son, grandfather, all going to Italy. All these people are just as fucked up as you. The only difference is they have the money to spend to do stuff, but they still have all the same baggage and all the same shit going on. And I think that's what he cares about because who's normal on this show? There's been no normal people in two seasons. Alexandra Daddario's character is probably the closest in season one, but even her, she was like kind of a moron, right? She's trying to become a reporter, just doing like bad work and she knew it was bad and she clearly married somebody because at least one of the reasons was the guy had money. He was a jerk. That's you what know? I'm saying. She, she wanted to be in this him. world. She stays with him like for the money. And that right. was like, a, that was a real moment at the end of season one where we're like, whoa, what show are we watching? That she, we thought we were rooting for her to like escape this bad marriage. And then she just goes back to him. In, or this is an HBO staple. You know? HBO loves this with all of their shows. It's all like, don't be jealous of these people. Don't be jealous of this. You, yeah. you can watch from afar, like, look how cool this is and look how awesome freaking Jeremy Strong's birthday party was in succession. But watch what's actually happening here, you know? But also, like, uh, you know, don't conf- <laughs> don't think that anyone's ideals or morals are stronger than the pull of luxury and ease and money. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, even it's like a, the good people on this show. Yeah, yeah. the quote unquote, good, the, yeah, the quote unquote good people. It's a really cynical read, but I don't think it's inaccurate, you know, so. This episode is brought to you by Verizon. Here's the headline. If you're with Verizon or just joining Verizon, everyone can get their best phone deals. You can even get an iPhone 15 on them with any iPhone trade-in, any model, any condition, guaranteed with unlimited ultimate. Visit verizon.com to shop. gigabyte only, device payment or full retail purchase with new or upgraded smartphone line on unlimited ultimate plan, minimum $90 per month with auto pay, plus taxes and fees for 36 months required. Less $830 trade-in or promo credit applied over 36 months. Promo credit ends if eligibility requirements are no longer met. 0% APR, trade-in terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. 
Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Man, what you put those two seasons together now, and especially after what we got in episode six, this is like a really good, um, this is a really good combo. This is kind of moving up the ladder for me. HBO wise. It's funny. I've heard some people say White Lotus season two isn't as good as season one. And I just disagree. I think it's like the perfect second season. It's exactly what they had to do. It's going in a different direction. It has a lot of the same DNA. Yeah. And uh and I think it's really solid. Um let's go to let's go to the DeGrassos. Yeah. They uh, I, I, I love I love this outcome. I, I like were you convinced you know how Mallory last week floated the theory that like Lucia would be related to them? And so yeah, that was when a good one. When they were going and they're and Bert kept going, like, what if we find someone we're related to? What if we find someone we're related to? And Lucia's there as their translator. I was like, oh my God, Mallory is gonna be right. And then it went in a completely different direction. Um, but well, we start the episode with just them them banging away again as waves are crashing against the gets the Albie white and lotus. Lucia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but they they decide they're going to go see their family heritage, which is the funniest thing. And this is, I'm half Italian. My mom's whole side is Italian. This is like a big Italian thing. We've got to go back, see where we're from. And you have this romanticized ideal of how it's going to turn out. This was one of my favorite scenes in the history of the show when they go see the, <laughs> the three crazy mean Italian witches who are basically in everyone's family, right? This is the worst case there of how it goes where... Of I curse you and your kind. Fuck <laughs> off. She's just so angry and... And I uh, just can't believe that they thought they could just waltz in with their nice clothes and be like, I'm your rich relatives from America. Aren't you happy to see me? They, they were like, fuck off. Fuck you. Why are I you love, here? I, I fucking loved it. I love that they show up and they're like, <laughs> um, I think it's uh, Dom who says, well, we've come this far. We got to go in. And I was yeah. like, what do you mean you got to go into some stranger's house with no introduction? It's not a museum. Like, what do you mean we got to go in? Yeah, they're like, human beings know? living their <laughs> days there. <laughs> what are you doing? And you don't, like, you know, they thought they had a translator with them. But like, but when Albie's like, I, I, I've got a translator for us, Dom is like, oh, good idea. And I'm like, did that not, a, how did you think you were going to do this without a translator? Uh, like, what are you, what are you guys doing? So this is, this is Bert's big fancy, right? The, the. I'm what you know. He has this whole speech he gives at breakfast. I think about like you know what a true homecoming. We find families a true homecoming, and I think that fantasy is tied to this idea that Bert has fucked up his entire life with his family, and he's yeah. like, "What if I get to start over new with this new branch of the family, and I get to be, as you said, like the rich American relative who comes and I'm hailed as a hero, and I get to be like." you know, a, a, a welcomed, loved member of the family when he knows that he is like seriously fucked up his own family. And I, and like that just blows up in his face in the biggest way. 
Yeah, it's it's basically we'll go here. It's gonna go great. It's a homecoming for us. We're even gonna see the relatives that we could have known in a different life. And this is gonna be just this incredible bonding experience. And what happens is you get this old Italian witch screaming at you, fuck off, get out of here. I, I loved mean, it so much. I mean, the going back home, where you, where are you from in Italy is such a big part of Italian culture. And just, you know, this show has hit a lot of, and it's weird because Mike White's not Italian, but this show's hit a lot of beats about just hardcore Italian American culture. And like is how important like, the Godfather is. Maybe he's like half Italian. I don't know. I was wondering if he was like Irish or something. Anyway, um, he uh I love that how much like I was thinking about the Godfather luncheon uh conversation because like that's the whole Michael fantasy, right? Michael goes just like connects with the Sicilian side of the family. Meets blah, Apollonia. Blah, blah, but but, yeah. but like that literally blows up in his face. Like yeah. literally Apollonia blows up. Like that is not, that's a fantasy that, that gets exploded for Michael and he just comes well, back and then to in America. God, and same know? thing in Godfather 2 where De Niro as young Vito goes back and and kills, I feel Kills oh, the guy. Man. Well, that's Don like a fantasy Thomas, Not Don yeah. Thomasino, one of the Dons. But uh, yeah. But yeah, kills the guy who basically destroyed his whole family. Mm-hmm. But yeah, every time somebody goes back to Italy in a good movie or a good TV show, it's usually going to go sideways. <laughs> yeah, it just is. It's that, and it's always never as good as you think. Um, we also feels like uh, feels like Albie's officially getting played because we have Lucia coming coming with them. Yeah, but then what would you call what who, pimp guy? I don't, what's I don't what's, think he's what's the twenty twenty two version of the word <laughs> pimp? I I appreciate your uh, asking. Um, I think <laughs> that <laughs> I think that um, broker. This is, this is a con as well because yes, I I said in last week's episode I was like we hadn't seen Alessio before this guy, and so I was like no he's in the first episode so I went back and watched that and he like they're walking down the street towards the hotel and Lucia just goes ciao Alessio and he's like ciao the am like they just look like friendly friends right good Italian accent by the way that was impressive <laughs> and then when she leaves uh, the hotel to go with Albie and his family she goes to talk to the guy who works there. Yeah. Say something to him. And then they're like, oh, you seem like you know a lot of people work here. She's like, oh, he's just the brother of a friend of mine. So I feel like that's Alessio's brother. And she's like, go tell Alessio to get in his biggest car and go, like, you know, follow us around on this island. Because again, this is Albie's fantasy of being able to rescue White Knight, rescue her from some sort of terrible situation. Right. And I think she's just concocted this fantasy for him to get, yeah, money from him or to have him. And or have him take her to America. You know what I mean? Like I'm just trying to think in the history of movies, television, the the guy who falls for the stripper, the sex worker, all that stuff. It it's they it's I can't remember a happy happily ever after situation Richard, Richard with that Gere? plot. Richard Gere and Julia Roberts? Uh they broke up like two <laughs> weeks later. Probably. It's like stay stay in the apartment. <laughs> Where were you? Yeah, that was done. That didn't last. Come on, he's bring, <laughs> he's bringing Julia Roberts around. She learned bring- how to use all the proper forks, Bill. Of course, he's bringing her around. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe they made uh, it. No, no, I, no. I can't I, believe they never made a sequel of that movie. I, they the should, ten years they, later, darker, pretty woman would have been just out of control. It's too I late know. now. I feel like is it? I don't know. Yeah, maybe it's not. I mean, she made that terrible George Clooney movie. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think yeah. I think it's pretty safe to say there's. I mean, maybe this whole show is a con, right, Mia? Gets the 
Looks like she's got the piano job, or at least she's got the in on it. She Brace had this up. long con with messing with the original piano player. I mean, unintentionally a little bit because she gave him the wrong drug, but now she's in a good spot. She's just banging away at the White Lotus on the keys. <laughs> but I think that this is, um, to, to just to like go back to one more thing with Lucia, I think she's doing all this, and I still think she likes Albie. Like she, like, I don't think mm. she wants Albie to get hurt in all of this. She just wants either money or for him to like take her with him. But like, um, I don't think she wants, it's not like, I, I think she has some sort of soft spot for him as well. I think that's right. in the mix. Anyway, but you can- I'm going can... to push back only because okay. we saw how mad she was when she didn't get the other $1,300 from Ethan. So I think- She I think earned money that money, is the... man. No, I know, but the money is the driving force <laughs> yes. here. And if she money feels like- Money is important to her, yeah. If she feels like she can grab a big pay, payday from- I mean, you have a bunch of people who aren't really in this world who are trying to figure out how to get a payday, right? Because you have you have Quentin and his whole crew. You have Jack, Jack, yeah. uh, drunk Jack. Um, like, I, I, can't, I can't pay for a single meal. Yeah. You have Greg, no, all these people. All these people. And that's that's another part of this whole theme that Mike White is playing with, which is like, there's the people who have the money and then there's the people who are pretending to have the money or like, like you know, like- Or the uh, third level, the, the people aspiring to be one of the first two groups. Right, like- um Sydney Sweeney's friend uh, in in the first one, right? Like that she didn't have as much money and she was there with her family. Like that was my memory of that mm. that dynamic. Um. Anyway, Mia um having sex with Valentina again. Great this stuff. This is this is transactional. She wants something. She wants the job, right? So she's doing this. But there also felt like there was kindness. In there as well. Seems like she liked her. Yeah, yeah, I did. I thought she pulled it off, whether it was the part performance or whatever. Because didn't yeah. she say in the first episode, didn't they insult her? One of them did. Oh, they yeah. Called they called her like I, a old. They called her a, a witch, a strega. Ugly they called what, her yeah. a witch. Yeah, yeah. Like all this sort of stuff. And I think I think she is like, let me do this for you. It's your birthday, right? She comes, she gives her the Marilyn Monroe happy well, birthday, go, Mr. President. Go backwards. To, you know? This was yeah. a great Valentina episode because- she thinks she might have a little something with that other lady in the hotel who's Isabella, like, oh, yeah, yeah. My, my boyfriend Rocco, you know, we've been kind of secretly dating and she's just like, you could see her face. Like she's, I thought we were getting birthday drinks. What's going on? We're not vibing the way I thought. No, you're actually not. And Mia just sees it. But I, I thought Valentina, I thought that character um, really paid yeah. off in this episode. She was excellent. This really rescued that whole, like, I was critical of this storyline last week because it reminded yeah. me a little too much of Armand. But I think having her, again, this is her fantasy. Like, she gets one little drop of kindness from is this this woman, Isabella, who is literally kind to everyone. It's her job, right? Yeah. Um, and she, like, concocts this whole fantasy in her head of, like, oh, we're going to date. And this is going to be it for me, right? And then Isabella's like, actually, I'm engaged to Rocco. So, no. Yeah. But, you know. Rocco but very the pool nice guy? about it. Yeah. You know? But, like, you know, says it. And so then, like, to go from that Well, fantasy, do you think she knew? She might have had to have at least gotten the signs a tiny bit that Valentina was sweet on her. Yeah. I think she got the sense. I think she did. Because she, she just felt, has she that frozen, little, happy hotel clerk face. Yeah, just a little uncomfortable. But it was like, you got to kind of know what's going on a little so this bit. this is Come her on. boss, so it's yeah. uncomfortable, you know? Yeah. Um, And her boss who, like, 
demoted her fiance to the beach club just, you know, out of jealousy is, you know, not someone I guess you want to fully mess with. But to go from that, like, pathetic fantasy of, like, latching onto someone who isn't interested in you to this thing with Mia, which isn't, like, a romance. It's, again, it's transactional, but there's something kind of beautiful in it, right? Because it's like, I'm giving you something you need. You're going to give me something I need, which is this job. And yeah. there's some something kind of pure and honest in that, you know, that I really liked. So, yeah, she's like, I have a special present for you. And the present is an all expenses paid trip to the destiny that you've wanted to explore all along here. And, <laughs> and Valentina, the actress, what's the actress's name? Um, I can't remember. It's, it's Sabrina Empacciatore. She did a great job with her face in the second half of this episode because she had like that witch, angry kind of, oh, I don't want to mess with that lady face and just demeanor and every way she acted around the hotel. But you could tell there was something else going on. And then that second half of the episode, it's just like this cloud lifts over her. Like she's like, just, I don't know. There was a happiness to her that I thought was really cool. I thought this was, I thought she was the best person in this episode. And a lot of like vulnerability, you know. What yeah, I mean? and I totally. think, yeah, and I, I think we first saw a glimpse of it like the first time she decided she had a crush on Isabella, and there was just something about her face that just sort of like softened and blurred almost, and she was just sort of like, yeah, dazed and dazzled. And I think, yeah, seeing her kind of come unravel in this episode, um, I love this. So I don't her. know I'm, what happens with them in episode seven because. Well, I'm so sorry that her seemingly like her next day at work or very soon, she's going to have to deal with a bunch of dead guests. So I'm sorry that that's coming for her, but you know, that's on the horizon. Yeah. Well, and then let's go back to Tanya. Hmm. I wrote down Tanya's Palermo dance cocaine orgy. Um, I (laughs) just, Jennifer Coolidge just cooking with gas this episode where they show her all the cocaine and she goes, I haven't done that in a long time. And Quentin goes, it's like riding a bike. And she's <laughs> so just good. in banging it out. Really good yeah. kind of druggy dance sequence where it's a little mm-hmm. slow-mo with some happy music and she's going back. Let's do some more cocaine. I got to say, Joanne, it made me, made me think that there should be an experience where people who love shows like this, we should be able to go into a scene like that and just snort fake cocaine. Because in it's like fake a, cocaine, right? It's like candy. I've always just wanted to try it. Is there is there a fake cocaine experience? The fake cocaine? <laughs> yeah, because I've never I've never even been in the same room with cocaine. But like when the actors when they do it, like what is it? What does it feel like going up your nose? It's like because I know it's like a fake powder that's not supposed to be bad for you, right? But they're like chugging it down. I just kind of yeah. want to know what's it like. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much I can talk about on a podcast, but like the. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking I, about the I, fake cocaine. I'm talking about what the actors I, have to oh, do know, when they're just blowing um, lines for like 10 scenes. I think it still burns. I think it still burns when you snort powder up, up your nose. You know what I mean? What do you um, think the powder is made of? I'm going to Google this after we do the pod. Um, I don't know. It's got to be something like question. pretty pretty benign, but nothing is good when you're snorting it into your nose. There That's can't be a single thing say. that would be decent. There's still going to be a post-nasal drip situation, but like I think that um, do, are you talking about like in a VR setting or like a in a cool immersion, like, 
you know, theatrical like, white experience. Lo- white Lotus season three, come in. You can s- yeah, snort fake cocaine with three of the characters. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who's your who's they, your top three like White Lotus characters to do fake cocaine with, Bill? Oh my God, let me think. Great question. Um, probably Cameron's in there. I think Jennifer Coolidge, absolutely. And probably, uh, probably Michael Imperioli, just for like the Sopranos Love connection. It. I think that would okay. be the three. How about you? Did okay. anybody, did anybody who would have been your number one draft pick? Um, I think Quentin, hundred percent. Yeah, you're Hollander. right. Quentin has to be there. He had like <laughs> he had that like veteran, experienced vibe yeah. where he's just like, "Come on, it's like riding a bike." Uh, yeah. This whole scene was everything they did with the Palermo thing. I thought was awesome. And then you, on the flip side, you have Portia with drunk Jack. <laughs> Just nightmare. kind of being like, oh, my dream guy. This, this is going to be my big my big fling in Italy. And it's like, oh, this guy's just garbage. Great, Albie's great like, job. I'm not looking so bad now, am I? Um, yeah, it's... Uh, I loved... Actually, my one of my favorite parts of the cocaine sequence is round two or whatever. When she comes back, she's like, can we look in your cocaine bag? Like, do we have more in there? I want to do more. And that's when they pull out the gun and you're like, oh, no. Um, but, My wife yeah. had some thoughts on the uh, Italian handsome guy for hire. What the what's the politically correct for the? Are we allowed to say gigolo anymore say, or no? You you can say sex worker for him too. If you All want. right, great. Uh, she said he was in another show oh, that really? she loved. Um, can't remember the name of it. It's one of those I shows that like him. I don't okay. even I I don't even remember the show. But that she he was the hot guy in that show too. Um, this this would be if you're Jennifer Coolidge, even before you see the photo of Cowboy Greg, this is the red flag where Clinton's <laughs> like, I have this young, well hung Italian guy who's ready to party. It's stud, like, why? Why are you I doing? <laughs> yeah, stud. Why are you doing all of this for me? What's going on? Why do you like me this much? I just would be suspicious if I was her, yeah. and I had a lot of money, right? But I did like I liked her conversation with Portia, where she's trying to talk to Portia, and she's like. Because they were wondering what the fallout would be from what she saw. And she was just sort of like, I don't really think that's his nephew, by the way. And I don't think you should, you know, put all your eggs in that basket. And I just, I liked it because, I mean, I think Tanya could have tried a little harder. But, like, I think um, she's been so selfish for so long. So to see her looking out a little bit for Portia, um, you know, or caring at all what happens to Portia made me happy. Um, Uh, I have a counter. Yeah. I this is my biggest nitpick of the show. How does she not tell her the next day? Hey, Jack saw him banging boots with uh with Quentin last night, just FYI. Like she she doesn't want to tell her because she's like, I'm having such a good time in Palermo, this would ruin it. Yeah. So I'm just gonna oh, I'm gonna keep maybe. this one to myself. How does she not tell her though? But like, well, also, how does she not have a bigger reaction to seeing Greg in that photo? She's just sort of like, Is it the cocaine? She's just sort of like, That's that's Wild. You know, Why that's a that, good like, question. The whole night, you know what I mean? I think what she's the- so coked up. She almost doesn't yeah. even know if it's real, right? She's looking at it like, man, that looks like Greg, but she's probably so out of her mind. Hard to process. Maybe she wakes up the next day and the next episode and was like, wait a second. What was that photo? <laughs> I have to say, we've seen the episode, but Mallory hasn't. And I can't wait for Mallory to see that because Mallory's question was like, can we envision him as a cowboy from 30 years ago? And I dug up like some old photo of the actor in a cowboy hat. I was like, maybe. Um, and they found an even better photo of him in a cowboy hat. It's pretty funny. You know, um, that guy's, I can't remember. What is his, what is his name in real life? I'm Googling him. 
I think it's John Grease. John Grease. Grice. Grease. So you know he was on nine hundred two and zero. By the way, well, I was gonna, I was gonna get there. He's he's been in a lot of stuff. He, one of one of my goofy, um, goofy eighties movies that I love is Running Scared with Billy Crystal and White Lotus, <laughs> and him and Stephen Bauer are two of the rival cops. And this is like nineteen eighty six. This is I don't know thirty six years ago. Um, but he was like one of those guys for a long time, and his big role was nine hundred two and zero. He was the the dealer that Dylan OD'd and he had like a big multi-episode arc, came back in a dream sequence, tried to kill Dylan again. And other than that, anytime I saw him in anything, I would just be like, oh, that guy from 90210. This is a pretty big part for him. I almost wonder if if they knew Greg was going to be this big of a of a piece, would they have even gone for a bigger actor? Not that he's not good, but you know what I'm I mean? Like, I know 90210. I'm not a 90210 scholar like you are, but I do know 90210. But I know him best as like, Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. I think that's like one of his big defining roles. And I think that's a good yeah, one. When he showed up in season one, I was surprised by how small his role was in season one. And then he was only in a couple episodes this season. So, you know. Apparently he was in um, Lost for six episodes. But yeah, you look at his IMDb, it's like 200 things. Um, oh, you know, he's yeah, in he's, Taken. He's he was one ben of Lannis uh, is, Ben Lannis is Bad dad on Lost. Yeah, yeah. He was Liam Neeson, one of Liam. Yep. And Liam Neeson, one of his buddies in Taken. In Taken, (laughs) they would always throw one scene where Liam Neeson's like having barbecue with his buddies talking (laughs) about the old days. And I think he was one of the guys in that. But yeah, this is a pretty big role for him as Greg Hunt. Cowboy Um, Greg. Yeah. Yeah, officially now Cowboy Greg. So we got to talk about Drunk Jack for a second. Okay. He says, he gives us a couple couple crucial tidbits as he's just out of his mind rambling like he's been given true serum. Said his uncle isn't rich. Said his family's not rich. And she's like, well, wait a second. I thought, is that your uncle or not? And basically he admits it's not my uncle. And then he says, I was in a fucking hole. Sometimes you do things you don't want to do. So my wife, my wife had a question for the podcast because she was confused by this. In a fucking hole, does that mean was it gambling? Was he just poor? Did like was he just a sex worker on the street that they grabbed? What what do you think his background was here? I think just poor. I think because of like how thick his Essex accent is, I think they're like coding him as like having grown up poor. And I wonder if that you do things you don't want to do. We're supposed to think like murder bum 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 like right that's what we're kind of supposed to be thinking but i wonder if it's just like having sex with men because like that's what he when he that's what i took it for yeah yeah when he first meets portia in the beach club right he's like yeah i go to all these parties and it's just like a bunch of men and they're very like gay men and they're really 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 aggressively handsy with me so i think he's just been like you know having sex with men because that's that's quentin's like I can rescue you from poverty if if you come do this. Um, and um, but I think, you know, like Cowboy Greg, he's probably straight and like having sex with Portia is like actually, you know, more what he actually wants to do sexually. So but then he's also like he also seems like he's been told to do that. Right. Like get distract Portia, get Portia out of the way. Like. You tough, know, tough so. beat for Portia with her Italian vacation where she thought she met this sexy English guy. 
kick an accent. Should have been a red flag that his accent was so much different than Quentin's accent, which Mallory yeah. pointed out last episode. Again, it's these like vacation fantasies. <laughs> like all right. of these vacation fantasies blow up in your face, whether it's like the 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 big Sicilian family you think you're gonna find or, you know, the the hot guy who's gonna throw you around in the bedroom or whatever. It's like is, you know, what's what's the re- what's the reality that's worth chasing? And that's that was her whole she was trying to have this like deeper conversation with Jack as he was just like downing the the Budweisers. Uh, um, but like, you know, what do you want? And she said she wants to be satisfied. And so maybe like the idea is like a fantasy is never gonna a fantasy is never gonna satisfy you. So what can satisfy you? You know? Prediction for episode seven. Um, okay. What do you uh, got? Lay it all out for us. I like jet ski accident in the harbor. I uh, like I like Ethan kind of snapping. I w- when I was rewatching episodes 1 and 2, Daphne says this thing about um cuz Cameron's on the phone and he's screaming about his luggage. And she says this thing to Harper where she's like he's got a really long fuse and he'll stay really really calm and then he'll snap. That's what she's talking about in, in terms of Cameron. And I'm like I'm so confused by that jet ski sequence we got earlier because it just seems so like aimless. I was like, why did, why did this happen? And so I wonder if they're going to do jet skis again, but neither one of them is going to swerve. And that's, that's how they die. Something like that. What do you think? I think that's a great theory. I, Jennifer Coolidge is the odds on favorite just because they've been setting up the whole season for her to be involved somehow. Very true. I would say I would have thought Albie was a bigger suspect after episode five. But now I, I don't I don't see that one. But you, we could see Lucia or Mia. They definitely possibilities because things are going a little too well for them right now, right? Mm-hmm. All their stuff's working, so maybe that's a possibility. I don't think the the anybody from the DeGrassos. I think I'm ruling out. I don't. They're gonna be I don't fine. see. Yeah, the Cameron and Daphne. I think for six episodes, it's been. You know, when they're together, it's just all great, right? They both have these secrets left and right. But I do wonder, like, is there a reason for that? Are we headed? Because we know with all these characters, right? It all comes out at some point. And could something happen with them that um, we know she lives at the end, but we never saw Cameron. He's not in the beginning in episode one. I think that he's not in the beginning next to her is pretty telling. So I that he, to me, is a dead person suspect. And... Um, yeah, that's it. Cause we know Valentine is alive at the end. I wonder, I wonder if Bert, like, because he says multiple Rocco is talking to Valentina at the beginning and he says multiple guests. Right. And if I, if I'm chasing my theory that none of these are going to be like a murder, it's all, all going to be like an accident of some kind. I wonder if With it's somebody like jet- floating in the water. Somebody. Yeah, so I that's the one like thing we know. Jet ski accident plus Bert dying of, being an elderly man because he's already he's walking around with that bandage on his head like for half the season you know what I mean like I feel like they're telegraphing his frailty so like he could die also just by you know dint of being an right. older man sort of thing well we know Daphne um, Daphne finds the body and yeah. the way she reacts it's not doesn't seem like somebody she knows that close unless she can't see the face which we don't know but it, it does seem like it's her reaction is more. This is a dead body versus like, oh my god, that's Ethan. Yeah, it's 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 really hard to know. Like she's screaming her head off, 
is that the scream of someone who is just like, oh my God, it's a dead body or that's a dead body. I know. I don't know how my, how different. Or is it the dead be. body of Cameron that she knows is going to be the dead body because she killed him and she killed him. <laughs> and I then she love, has to act like she's so horrified. Theory. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and then yeah, we didn't mention the, the Ethan killing Aubrey Plaza possibility too, because they've been setting that up for two episodes that he's having a psychotic break. He's not doing well. That is definitely for, for certain. I don't like what would be more satisfying to you? Someone snapping and like choking someone to death, like a murder or an accident. What's more satisfying to you in this season of television? They've set up the murder plot with Tanya painstakingly. And that might be a red herring. The, the concept of one of these couples just hitting a breaking point where one kills the other, I think would be a pretty interesting move. But it still doesn't explain the word bodies. Because mm-hmm. they say in, the, in, in episode one, they say bodies, not body. Yeah. Multiple guests, so, yeah. So that, that almost means, so maybe that's the DeGrassos. I mean, maybe they had were on a boat that sunk. I don't know. But the bodies is the one that threw me off. If it was one body, I think it would be a lot easier for us to guess. Bodies, I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> I just realized that Rocco, oh no, maybe he's back up at reception. But I was like, is Rocco down at the beach? Because he got demoted to the beach club. But like, uh, Rocco says multiple guests, which is why I don't think it's like Quentin and his guys. Because like, they stayed at the hotel, but they weren't staying at the hotel anymore. Like they weren't really guests anymore. You know what I mean? So like, I feel like it's one of our, it's the multiple guests thing makes me feel like it's like, you know, the people also, uh, no, I, I'm, I'm really, really curious if, if Mike White, because like once it becomes a murder, then it's like, is every season a murder or is it, Every season, when you get these many personalities and these and and like this much money and this much fantasy fulfillment all in one place. Someone has to die. Someone has to die, but is it someone has to die and it's a terrible accident, or someone has to die and it's a murder, you know? Mm. I, I think is is interesting to contemplate. Well, last question for you. Yeah. Who do you who are you most afraid is gonna die? Who are you the most attached to? What would upset you the most? Honestly, Mia, I really like Mia. And I like that she's like, she has another beautiful like musical number in this episode. And I'm just sort of like, keep doing that. I I want this for you. I want and like honestly, what she did for Valentina seemed like very nice. So I'm I'm very protective of Mia. Um, how about you? It's so funny you said that. That was also my answer. Cause I think that actress, her name is Beatrice Grano. Mm-hmm. I think she's been really great. Yeah. And uh, and that's a weird part, right? She goes in, she's kind of like, you know, her her friend is really the one who's doing it and she doesn't know whether she wants to get in that world or not. Um, She likes playing the piano, but it's like a pipe dream. And we've watched her become really savvy over the course of five, six episodes, really comfortable with kind of who she is and really, really likable and talented. So, of course, it would make sense that she's the one that gets no. killed at the end. And we'll be like, no, not her. But yeah, I had the same answer. I thought Mia, Mia's probably the my favorite character. I also really like Daphne, but we know she doesn't yeah. die. But I yeah. think the Daphne character is really good. Really complex. I can't figure her out. I've everyone else mostly figured out a Daphne. I'm like, what's going on with this lady? She have a kid with her trainer? Does she, is she like in some secret sex club on the side? What what are her angles? I just don't. How much does she know? I don't get her, and I think they've done a good job with her. She's my top like 
if someone is going to snap and kill someone, Daphne's still at the well, top. Well, you laid that mind. out in the last pod. Yeah, talking about like Dateline and- um, <laughs> Well, that, I mean, uh, I guess that's that's the other thing is like, if it is just an, if it is another accident, like the first yeah. season was, right? If it is another accident, Mike White has been playing with our expectations this whole time by like talking about Dateline or talking about um, that like local legend about, you know, the woman who cut the man's head off and that's what we see all those statues or the story Quentin tells about the mafia basically like killing that woman for her property. Like they've been laying in all these like murder for money. Don't forget the weird statues, the weird shots of the statues and the paintings and it's just very sinister. Yeah. So like he's been infecting our brain with all of this, but like, you know, for what reason? Is that what we're watching or are we just going to watch another Tragic accident. I don't know. You know, so it's interesting. Can't wait to find out. Mm-hmm. Is it after Mallory sees this episode? Is it worth you and her just spouting conspiracies on each other on a preview podcast next week? Kind oh, of I feel like it is. I would love that. I would yeah, love I think we should like book that. Just two of you. Just get, go do your meltdown. thing. <laughs> do your house of our f- f- multiple theory meltdown thing. <laughs> Maybe we'll plan that for uh, for Thursday, Friday next week, and then for episode seven, which is Sunday night. A week from now, we don't know if we're getting screeners before that, if we're going to have to tape that Monday, Monday morning, something like yeah. that. Maybe we'll take that early Monday morning, whatever. But it'll it'll depend on how much HBO trusts us. <laughs> Do they want to give us the screeners? Do they trust us? They trust us with this IP. We'll see. Um, <laughs> but either way, we'll. So you and Mal can do a little theory preview pod later in the week, and then uh, Sunday night or Monday, maybe the three of us. We we got to bring her in for the finale, right? Oh yeah, yeah. She'll be available. I I think yeah. she'll she'll make the time, but we'll do that for next week. All right. This podcast was produced by Bobby Wagner, Joanna. It was great to see you as always. As always. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.